Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMV. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Hey, welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, my name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner I'm with Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Want to thank everyone for tuning in today. Uh, if you're checking us out on the podcast, uh, or if you haven't yet, go to iTunes. Uh, you can download it there. Your Money, Your Wealth. Um, you can go to our website at purefinancial.com uh, to do that as well. We have a huge event coming up December 6th in San Diego, December 10th. Uh, in Orange County, it's our end of year tax planning workshop uh, at the San Diego or Mission Valley Sheridan um, or uh, Orange Coast College. So go to our website at purefinancial.com to get more information there. It will fill up. Uh, it's going to be a great time. There's just a lot of different changes potentially that uh, that could happen. And so we want to make sure that you are understanding of what the proposals are and then so that you can act swiftly. End of year tax planning is right here. Can you believe it's almost Thanksgiving? I know we're almost there, Joe. And and I'll tell you what, it's it's uh, this tax class. This is going to be one of our most important ones we've ever done because it's not only educating you on what the proposals are and what to expect or potentially expect in the future, but then it's how to react to that right now, right before year end. Those final year in tax planning moves that you need to make for 2015 because the tax law may change next year, and you have opportunities this year that you. You can and should take advantage of. It's just a matter of knowing what's available. It's going to be uh, light, fun, but very informative. Um, you know, taxes for a couple of hours. It sounds it sounds awful. It just just sounds incredibly awful. But we 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 try to keep it light. I mean, uh, we try to add some humor, don't we? Yeah, yeah tons. And <laughs> not too many people leave <laughs> in the first hour. Right. <laughs> No, actually, uh, pretty much everyone stays the whole time, and it's uh, it's fun. It's fun for us, and it's uh, we'll have questions and answers, and it's pretty interactive at the end. So, uh, yeah, uh, join us then. Uh, here's how to register if you want to call in, uh, get more information. We'll send you out a kit of directions, kind of the agenda, what to expect, um, and everything else in between. So here's the number. Call the number just to reserve your seat. It's 888-994-6255. Five seven. That's eight 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 nine nine four six two five seven eight 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 nine nine four sixty two fifty seven. Let's. Uh, we got David Stein from Money for the Rest of Us. He's coming up uh, at the end of the break here. Perfect. And so what we have? Uh, let's two more topics. Let's talk about estate planning. Yes. Um, and then IRAs. Yes, because that's one of uh, Trump's proposals is to get rid of estate taxes. And if you don't know what that is, right now under current law, if you were to pass away, uh, the, your kids uh, would get uh, your assets with no estate tax if your estate is less than about $5.5 million. Right, so if your estate's ten million dollars and you're single, well, some of that is going to be subject to an estate tax, you know, at forty percent, and some of it will come tax-free. So what Hillary wanted to do, just by the way, is she wanted to raise the the rates, starting at forty-five percent and going to sixty-five percent, and lowering the exemption to three and a half million. Well, we don't have to worry about that now because she didn't 
win president. But but Donald Trump would like to get rid of estate taxes altogether, which is a huge savings for families that have a lot of assets, that have a lot of wealth. But there's a negative to that, and I want to explain that. Because the last time we didn't have an estate tax was 2010. Yeah, for one year. For one year. Correct. And uh, we've had the estate tax basically since the Civil War. Yes, uh, it's certainly been around my whole career, which was pre- right after the pre- Civil right War. Right after, <laughs> a couple years after. <laughs> At that time, you could pass about three bucks to the next generation. <laughs> Actually, my career I started in 1980 or 81, I guess 80, and uh, it was six hundred dollars, six hundred thousand, six hundred thousand. It was that for, for years, for a long time. Yeah, in fact, all the way to two thousand. Yeah, because I got in the business um, in 1997 or 1998, and yeah. it was six hundred thousand. And then yeah. went to six hundred eighty thousand or six, yeah, six hundred eighty. Yeah, I can't I remember, but like then it got it finally got up to a million, and then we kind of went it from there. But uh, at any rate, here's here's what's interesting about estate taxes is uh, because the government doesn't want to tax you uh, or uh, an estate twice, so there's this estate tax. But then there's a step up in basis for the next generation, So, which means any asset that you hold outside of a retirement account gets a step up in cost basis to the value at your date of death. So you bought a home for $100,000, now it's worth a million. Your kids get the home because it's under the exemption limit, and it's as if they bought it for a million bucks. If they sell it, well, there's no gain or loss. That the reason for the step up is so you don't pay estate taxes and capital gains on the same property. Now, if there is no estate tax, there may not be a, a step up in basis. Now, what pr- Trump, to be fair, what Trump has proposed is to have the first ten million dollars of assets for a married couple be get a full step up, right? So, but we'll have to see how that happens because really, if you think about it, the reason for the step up is to so that you don't pay taxes on the same property twice. And if there's no estate tax, there really isn't a huge need for a step up. So we'll have to see. And that would hurt a lot of families in terms of getting assets from their parents. Right. Uh, that will affect everyone. Yeah. Uh, anyone that, I guess, has assets, right? Right. That has any type of appreciation. Um, last thing when it comes to estate planning, um, which will affect just about everyone listening, uh, retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, TSPs, defined contribution plans. Uh, right now, there's something that's called the stretch. All right. So what that means is that if it goes to a non-spouse beneficiary, all right, so not your spouse, a non-spouse, so your children, grandchildren, friend, niece, nephew, whatever, they have the right to stretch out the tax liability of that retirement account over their lifetime. Because once they inherit it, it's going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. Sometimes people think it's just like a a stock or bond or a house, right? Well, no, they don't have to pay tax on it because they inherit it. No, they have to pay ordinary income tax on every dollar that's in the shell of a retirement account. Right now, they have the ability to stretch the tax out over their life. So it's a very favorable a tax law for us individuals that inherit retirement accounts. Because instead of, let's say it's a million dollar retirement account. And if I inherit that, right, well, I wouldn't want to take it all out in cash because then that would be a million dollars of ordinary income on top of my $20,000 of income, right? So I'd have a million dollar, 20,000, right? That's my, that half of it would be gone. You're in the highest tax bracket between federal and state. Exactly. But if I was smart, I would say, you know what? I don't want to take it all as income. I want to keep it in the shell of the retirement account, but I want to stretch out that tax over my life expectancy. I do have to take a required distribution, right? But 
it's based on my life. So I'm 42 years old. So my life expectancy is another, what, 40 some odd years. So I would have to take, what, 145th out of the account. It would be pretty small. So you got you got 40-some years to take the money out instead of five. Exactly. Right? And so it's going to come out at a lot lower level, keeping you in lower brackets. And then plus that money, will the, the rest of the money will still grow tax-deferred for me. Right. That's called the stretch. I can stretch out the tax over my life expectancy. However, what is probably going to happen is what some experts say, first quarter next year, first 100 days, is that that's gone. They're going to blow off the stretch, no more stretch IRA, non-spouse beneficiaries will have to take that money within five years. So let's say again, that million dollars, right? Instead of taking it out over 40 years, now I have to have it fully depleted within five years. So that's going to have dramatic increase in taxes on the non-spouse beneficiaries. So you want to make sure that you're doing significant planning. If you have large retirement accounts, a couple hundred thousand dollars and above, you want to look at, all right, well, here, does it make sense for me to maybe start converting this out or taking more out and spending more? Because half of it potentially could go to the IRS, depending on what happens to ordinary income tax rates. Now back to your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 AFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. My name's Joe Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner with Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Alan, it's that time of show. It is, where we have someone smarter than us. A right? lot smarter. Well, yeah, extremely. <laughs> yes. We have uh, David Stein on the line, and he has a, a phenomenal podcast, uh, which I would recommend everyone uh, to check out. It's money for the rest of us, because money can get complicated. It sure can. And it's like, well, what about me? So I want to welcome David. David, thanks so much for joining us. Great. Good to be here. Thanks. Hey, um, just tell our listeners uh, a little bit about your background and why did you start Money for the Rest of Us? Well, sure. My background is as an institutional investor. So I spent 15 years on the investment side, first advising endowments and foundations, and, and later, actually, we... We launched what's called an outsourced CIO product, where we actually managed the investments for the, the endowments foundation, did the asset allocation, and sort of chose managers, et cetera. Sort of took over the whole thing. And so I was our firm's chief investment strategist and chief uh, portfolio strategist for that particular product. And I, I did that for 15 years, but I was ready to, I was in my mid-40s, and I was ready to try something else. And so I, my partners bought me out. And I called myself early retired for a year or two and then found myself missing teaching investing, missing teaching about the economy. And so I launched the podcast a couple years ago just so I could continue to, to, in this case, help individuals understand what's going on with money, investing in the economy. You you know, given this week, um, had a lot of experts kind of on their toes a little bit. Uh, We had Donald Trump is now our president. Um, and I think when, and I'm, I'm sure you watched the futures a little bit when they were, well, I guess every TV sh- you know, newscast was kind of showing it as Donald Trump was pulling ahead. You saw the futures go down 700 points. So I'm, you, everyone's thinking, oh man, the market's going to crash. But uh, what, w- w- the, the week has been okay. I mean, how the heck do we explain that? We explain it by saying you, <laughs> you cannot predict these, these one-off events. And because I, I had listeners expressing concern, well, if Donald Trump got elected, the market's going to crash, should I be pulling my money out now? This is a month or two ahead of time. And, and my response was, one-off events, you just can't predict what the reaction will be. And so, the, not to say you can't ever predict, 
But the reality is the market, let's say the S&P 500, a measure U.S. large company stock, falls on average 5% or more about three and a half times per year. So this is normal market volatility. Now, what I teach and the way I've always invested was to adjust one's asset allocation for what I call regime changes, where the risk of a recession is high, the risk of a, a 20% type decline in the stock market is high. And there, we, there there's a little more forecasting or predictability, or at least can manage the risk. But these short-term binary, this particular person is going to win or lose, or let's say the Brexit, you, you just can't, you can't predict both what's going to happen or even how the market's going to react to it. I mean, you're actually making two predictions there. Now, what's the outcome going to be and then how the market's going to react to it? Right. It's, uh, but we're emotional creatures, you know, and I think that's one of the biggest things um, from an education perspective is that, hey, you cannot worry about the short-term volatility um, you know, this money, well, you know, what's the goal for the money? You probably need it for your retirement over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So we'll have many more presidents, we'll have many more corrections, and we'll have many more, um, you know, crises and everything else. What, um, what, what are some of the things that you're talking about on your, um, uh, on your podcast nowadays? Well, let me just follow up on that, that other point, because we do have to manage our emotions. And, and one thing you do, I mean, let's, let's say somebody, and I had people approach me where, they might have sold a business. They might have some cash, and and this election's coming up. And and you know, I don't give specific advice, but in the in the spirit of general education, you know, I've I've told people it's okay to wait till after the election and then put the money to work. I mean, it's not these are not do or die decisions, right? I mean, ultimately, most of us are long term buy and hold investors, but we have to do things to help us manage those emotions. And one might be your dollar cost average in if you get if you get a lump sum of cash. Or you, you can wait out. It's going to be a big binary event. It's okay to wait before you invest. In, uh, in terms of the podcast, we, you know, things we've talked about recently, and the, the way the show's structured is just whatever happens to be of most interest to me, which tends to be also be interest to, to listeners. And so you know, one of the things I experienced is my insurance company had a 50% proposed increase for our health insurance. And so that got me thinking, <laughs> What's going on here? So we did an episode recently on you know, what is driving these dramatic increases in health insurance costs. And it turns out much of it is pharmaceutical companies essentially have monopoly power to price pharmaceuticals, particularly expensive cancer treatments, at whatever price they can get away with. And in other words, the, the price discipline is, is how badly will politicians and doctors yell when they set the price? In that type of environment, that is what's driving up healthcare costs and healthcare premiums. And then what? Uh, the EpiPen, right? That was a, that was pretty oh, big deal. It's a perfect example, right? They, in this case, people did yell after they. Rate, I don't know what the you know the five thousand percent increase or whatever the, the significant increase was, but that is predominant throughout the healthcare industry, and ultimately, it, it's something that the, the Trump administration is going to have to deal with because it, it's come to a head. Hey, David, this, this is Al. Uh, we've got a lot of retirees listening and, and uh, pre-retirees, and, and I know your podcasts sometimes deal with, uh, with retirees. What, what, what is some of your best advice that you would give to somebody that's just about to retire? What are the things they ought to be looking at? Well, first off, it is, it is an absolutely huge transition, and people don't realize it, from having income where you have a job and suddenly you're living off of your investments. And I, I mean, I did that when I was in my mid-40s. So, I mean, I quit my job, and Here's my nest egg, and I have to live off of it. 
and it's jolting. And so what I tell retirees is find a source of income outside of investing. Have a lifestyle business or, or something of interest. And, and I, I think most retirees want to do something. Because reality is it can be boring being retired if all you're doing is playing golf. And that's kind of a cliche, but that's the truth. And so having some type of side project or, or side business or something we can generate, just even if it's twenty to $30,000 a year, takes a lot of pressure off both emotionally and on your investment portfolio. I mean, I would imagine that would have been pr- that was probably pretty hard for you um, if you can retire in your 40s. I would imagine there was um, you know you know a couple of dollars in your in your bank account and being um, a very good at managing money, right? But then you you the the emotions that you have personally over your money versus being an institutional in, you know in, in investor, I, I think are two different things. And then once you're looking at hey, this nest egg's got to last me what sixty years, um, it, you know, it, it, to keep your own emotions at bay was probably fairly difficult. Oh, exactly, because one can't even imagine a forty-year retirement. I mean, we just we can't comprehend what that's even like, and so. You know, ultimately, the way that you do it is you, you have to just manage one year at a time, right? Here is what I spent this year in, in terms of my budget, and here's what I earned. And, and how does how do those two different? And, and I call it mind the gap. You want to look at, you know, what is your after-inflation earnings, your performance return on your portfolio versus your spend rate. And if, those, and if they're pretty close, then, then you can be retired indefinitely. But if, but if it's wide, then then you start eating into principal over time. And you know, ultimately, my solution was to find a way to generate some additional income because in the four years or five years I've quit my job, in- income, like interest rates have basically been cut in half. Or, or other strategies, you know, income-oriented strategies are generating much lower yields than they did even three or four years ago. And so in, in that environment, people having some type of side project as a retiree some other source of income, I think, is critical. Maybe, you know, when you get into your 70s or 80s, you can pull back. But if you're in your 50s or 60s, one, you'll be bored if you, if, you, if all you're doing is, is, is traveling or something. Or maybe you just have to do something. Right. I, and I think, well, the dollars and cents is one thing. The money is one thing. Uh, but just the, the, the sense of still feeling purposeful, right, that, that you have meaning. Um, uh, I think is key too. Uh, a lot of financial shows such as ours is like, all right, well, let's talk about taxes, investments, inflation, and blah blah blah. But then at the other side of, the, you know, the, the the microphone or or the speaker, it's like, well, you know, what the hell am I going to do with my life here? I got all the money I need, but I'm bored as hell, and you know what, <laughs> what am I going to do here? Oh yeah, and people people need a routine, and even you know, even as a retiree, you need some type of routine. That, you know, this is what I do on a Monday or Tuesday. I mean, you take breaks from it, but having something, you have to, you have to be creating something ultimately. You have to, there has to be some outlet to create. And, and maybe that's working with a charity or not-for-profit. Maybe it's creating within an employment. Maybe it's a hobby. But there needs to be a formalized creation, in my mind, of people creating something every week. And maybe you get paid for it, maybe you don't. But you have to have the routine in terms of creating. That's uh, David Stein, folks. Please go to... Money for the rest of us dot com or is it dot net right? Money for the rest of us dot net. Money for the rest of us dot net. Yes. Dot net. Uh, check out his podcast, David. Hey, thanks so much for your time. Uh, hopefully, we can get you on back soon. 
It'd be great. Thanks for having me. All right, we got to take a break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back. I'm glad you're here. Joe Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. I'm with uh, Alan Clopine. He's a CPA. Happy holidays. Yeah, were you talking to me or to our listeners? All the above. All the above. Okay. Anyone who's willing right, to listen. Well, I'm happy you're here, too. I'm very happy you're here, Alan. <laughs> when do we start saying happy holidays? After Thanksgiving? Uh, I think so. I think I think pre-Thanksgiving is just happy Nothing. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh I don't know. <laughs> Big Nothing. Al's a little tired on a Saturday. <laughs> We've been talking tax for just two uh, hours. A couple hours. Just had a great interview with David Stein. Good, good advice. I thought, um, particularly. I mean, he's talking about what should retirees or pre-retirees be thinking about, and he he went right into you need to have some activity, right? Not it's not just about the money. And I think our industry spends so much time talking about the money. I would say that the some of the other, you know, life purpose and 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 things to fill your time is probably equally as important. You done? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's that time of show again. Well, you got some questions. We're going to the email bag, Al. Oh, good. Going to the email bag. So this way, I guess, uh, full disclosure, uh, neither of us have seen the question, so we're going to try to demonstrate if we are competent or not, and you you be the judge. <laughs> <laughs> we have not prepared at all for this, and I'm sure it'll show. Oh, man, Alan. Jeez. Okay. If, I, if a stock is worth more than when I bought it, how can I lose money? All right. I okay. recently purchased stock in CGC. And it is up from when I bought it. However, I'm losing money according to my bank. How is this possible? <laughs> uh, I know how it's possible. It's because when you have a stock that pays dividends, and if you decide to reinvest the dividends in stock, it's like you're getting the dividends, paying tax on it, and reinvesting in the stock. And if you keep reinvesting your dividends, maybe the stock didn't even go up in value. Maybe it actually went down or, or even stayed the same. But you've been reinvesting your dividends. You've got a little bit more than what you paid, but it's only because you reinvested. So you could theoretically have a loss in that case. I have a different answer. What do you got? That's the tax answer. Here's what, this is exactly what happened. <laughs> they purchased the stock at $10 a share. Okay. Hypothetically, I'm guessing here. Yeah. Because I, this is all, this is, this yeah. is what we get. This is I, I the, I, the great think, emails we get here. I think I know where you're going. Stock goes up to $20 a share. Yeah. Right. Goes in, talks to the banker or the broker at the bank. Right. Hey, I love this stock. It's up. And then he's like, well, wait a minute. No, it's down. Because it's now worth $15 a share. So I bet it's lost money from its high. Oh, that could be. Here's another one. Okay. Bought the stock at uh, $10 a share, and uh, and it's split. <laughs> so now you have twice as many shares. It's worth $5 a share. And if you're thinking, I bought it for 10 now it's only worth 5 how come? I think the bank is just messing with them. <laughs> no, this, this, this stock sucks. <laughs> sell it so in, I can sell you an annuity. Yeah, I can sell you an annuity. <laughs> All right. That's probably the real answer. Moving on. Okay. Should I take a, uh, let's see. Um, let me get a good tax one here. Okay. See, now our crack research team is like, they're, they're going through the, the emails. Yeah. And they're, they're picking awful ones. Mike, so you're, you're editing on yes, air. I'm, yes. You're screening on air. How does an employer benefit from a 401k match? 
Okay. There's your question now. That's it? Yeah. That, no more to it? <laughs> how does an employer benefit? How does an employer well, benefit the, from a 401k matching plan? The, there's, uh, I guess I'll say a few things. Uh, you, an employer does get a tax deduction, but that in and of itself is not worthy because... It's to keep the employees. Yeah, of course. I mean, the reason why you have a 401k, it's 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 for a, a recruiting tool, tool, it's a benefit, and it's to retain employees. And by the way, most 401k plans require the employer to match. And and, uh, and if they don't match, then you got all the top-heavy rules and all that complexity. So yeah, it's that's the that's the real answer, but, is, but, to, is to keep employees and to recruit employees. Right. To retain good people at your firm. there is a tax deduction, too. Should I take a lump sum payout um, and put it towards an IRA? Hmm. I'm 42 years old. My only source of income is SSDI. I have been offered a lump sum payout worth $12,600 on a pension from a previous employer. The monthly payment I can opt for now is $55. The normal pay, uh, the normal monthly payment when I'm 65 is $279. I'm divorced and single. What should I do? Should I take the lump sum and contribute it towards a rollover IRA? If so, traditional or Roth? <laughs> well, uh, what kind of lump sum? I guess from whatever settlement that doesn't really say. No, does from it? a pension from a previous employer. Oh, I didn't. I wasn't listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so if it's a lump sum and you got the cash, you got 60 days to roll it. No, over. it's a lump sum or annuity. Hmm? Did you listen? To, do you want me to reread this thing? Apparently not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Look at the dollar figures. Uh, you know, if you listen to last week, Big Al's got big pockets. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I got a 15-year mortgage and I'm fully funding and my fully retirement fully funding accounts. my 401k. <laughs> I'm doing backdoor Roths. You know what that means. <laughs> My income's or, over the phase-outs. Or it means I'm smart with what I got, right? Um, well, the, the guy's 42. He's on SSDI, so he's, he got disabled, right? Yeah. So the company's giving him 12600 Well, maybe let's put it in Al's terms. 12600 okay? Or uh, <laughs> so, or $55 a month. So so I, I don't have my calculator. What he needs to do, you you got to figure out what the, the, the IRR on this is. But I think with these dollars at 42 55 bucks. He's 42. I don't know. Is that going to, I mean, that's beer well, money, that's, that's, I guess. Yeah, that's about. You take the 12,600, you're 42, put it into a Roth IRA, right? Because I don't, he's on Social Security disability. Yeah, the I, income is not high. The 12,000, now it's in a Roth IRA. Have that money grow 100% tax free for the next, what, 20 years? Right. So if, let's say you get 7%. On average, I'm hypothetical, of course. I'm just using that number because the math is easy because I know it doubles every 10 years. Right. So, right? So now sure. you, you can triple your money by the time you're 65. Yeah, yeah. And if you do, I guess if you do the math, 55 bucks a month, I mean, that's that's somewhere between $600, $700 a year. So you divide that into twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000, it's probably around a 5% payout, something like that, which isn't great. I'd rather take the lump sum. Yeah, but then you just you got to look at the break even because that's yeah. With this, it's, we're, we're, uh, with these dollar figures, I think you just take the lump sum. So just so because a pension payment, what right? What was twelve million dollars? Well, then I would have to do some calculation. I don't have my calculator. Well, twelve million versus fifty-five bucks a month. Yeah, I'm taking the twelve million. <laughs> Me too. All right. Let's see. If I'm self-employed, what expenses do I report to Social Security? All right. I'm self-employed and receive a Social Security check monthly. I'm confused as to what amount of income I need to report to Social Security. 
I use part of the money I bring in for expenses to keep my job going. Do I report my earnings before or after expenses? So he wants to pay the self-employment tax. Okay. He doesn't. He's not sure of what dollar figure, right? Does he report my earnings before or after expenses? So it's after. So so the way that that works is you take your gross income from whatever business or whatever service you're providing, and you deduct all your ordinary and necessary business expenses against that. You end up with a net number, and that's what you pay not only Social Security taxes on, but that becomes income, which will be added to your taxable income. So I take my gross revenue minus expenses, Mm -hmm. and then a lot of times um, then after expenses is my profit? Correct. Yeah. And then so, my profit so, is what I pay my self-employment tax on? Correct. That's what you pay your self-employment tax on, which is the same as Social Security taxes, uh, and you, that's what you will add to your income tax return, and you'll pay income taxes on that, too. But then you get to deduct half of it. That's true. Yeah, if you want, yeah. So half of your self-employment tax is a deduction. Uh, it's 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 kind of tr- it gets tricky sometimes, Joe, when, when people are trying to think. Well, I opened up a, a self-employed pension plan, a SEP, for example. Do I take that before I? And, and no, actually, it, it's it's gross income minus business expenses equals your bottom line. Your that's self-employment income, and then from that figure, you can figure out how much you can put in a four hundred one k if you want, or a, a SEP plan if you want. Uh, and but you pay self-employment tax on that net profit before your pension. Now back to your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 AFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner, Big Al Clopine CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Alan, got another email question for you. Okay, what do you got? All right. My husband bought a condo in 2008 for $112,000. Okay. We got married and lived in it until January 2014. Got it. From March 2014 until July 2016, the home was rented to a friend. We sold our primary residence and moved into the rental from July to September 2016 and then sold the rental for $125,000. Will we pay capital gains or are we exempt because we lived in it two out of the last five years? Okay, so I want to I want to ask you. And they they moved out of it in what month in 2014? Uh, let's see. They lived in it from 2008. We got th- married and lived in it until January of 2014. January 14. Okay, and then from March 14 to July 16, they rented it out. Okay. Then they moved back in from got July it. until September. Okay, at which time they sold it. And then they sold it. Okay. Yeah, so that that does work. So here, a couple things you got to consider is one is was it a residence first or was it a rental first? And they're completely different rules. So if it was a residence first, which this one was, and if you've lived in it two out of the last five years, which they would, even though it's not, it doesn't have to be sequential, right? You can actually, as long as at any point in that five-year period you have lived in it for 24 months, then that works. That qualifies for two out of five years. Uh, as a married couple, they get a five hundred thousand dollars exclusion, no problem with the numbers we're talking about. So, it, all right, because they moved out in January of fourteen, what they have to? So it's now November of sixteen, right? Yes. So wouldn't they have? Let's see. Let me make sure I got my dates right. So March. So when? When was it a rental? <laughs> From March of twenty fourteen to July of twenty sixteen. Ooh. Okay. 
All right. Well, that's 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 still that's still fine though. And, but then they moved back in for a couple of months. That's okay. That's okay. And so, then they sold it. So in other words, uh, let me say it another way: if you if it was a residence first, and then it was a rental in between time, as long as in the last five years it was a rental less than three years, then that means you would have lived in it at least two years, and you qualify for the full exemption. So it does work, right? Think about the math. Got it. They've lived in at least, and so. But one caveat, though, is they have to recapture their depreciation that they took when it was a rental. Twenty-eight percent. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, twenty twenty-five percent. Twenty-five percent. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, it, this isn't their case, but let's just say it was a rental first, and then they moved in it for a couple of years. It's a lot more complicated. Now you have to take your rental years versus your residence years and come up with a ratio and you multiply that ratio against the gain. It's it's a very complicated calculation and certain amount of gain is excludable and certain you might pay tax on. But if it was a residence first, then you rented it out. It doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, then you're... As long as you've lived in it three out of five years. Got it. Or two out of five years, sorry. <sighs> okay, currently, here's another one for you. Big okay. Al, I just love hearing your voice every Saturday. <laughs> Currently, my wife. <laughs> See, I'm the only one that got that. I, I got it. <laughs> I, have, I have male fans. Yes. Currently, my wife is the primary beneficiary of my IRA. I understand that she will have to pay income taxes on the capital gains in the distributions. Are there any special taxes assessed when the account is transferred to her? If my wife is not alive when I die, my daughter is designated the secondary beneficiary. Will she be assessed any special taxes when she inherits my IRA? Okay, well that's that's a good question and and some misconceptions in there. So your your IRA has grown, which is great. Uh, there's no special capital gains rate when money is drawn out of an IRA. It's taxed at ordinary rates, no matter how much it's grown. That doesn't doesn't matter whether you take it out or your wife inherits it, she takes it out, or whether your daughter inherits it, she takes it out. It's all taxed at ordinary income rates, and there, there's there's really no way around it, Joe, unless while you're living, you decide to start doing some Roth conversions, you get it into a Roth IRA, and then all that money comes out tax-free. If he's got after-tax contributions, those would be tax-free. Sure. Any special taxes assessed? No. It's just all ordinary income tax. Yeah, that's correct. What you might... Uh, so, But the daughter, right now, the daughter can stretch the tax liability out over the daughter. So let's say if the wife predeceased, so there would be no special tax, but how she has to take the money out is going to be a little bit different. A couple of things is that when you pass away and your wife takes the money, she can roll it into her own IRA. So if you're older than your spouse, right? And then so it's like, all right, well, if I don't need the money, I'm going to roll the money into my own. Because if I keep it in the older spouse's name, well, then they're going to turn 70 and a half. Then I got to take the required distribution based on the deceased's life expectancy. So even though they're deceased. Even though they're deceased. At what age they would have hit 70 and a half, you have to do the RMD that way. So you could roll it. You could commingle IRA accounts with spouses. So your spouse dies, you can move their account into your own, vice versa. It does not work that way with non-spouses, with the daughter in this instance. It would then stay in the deceased's name for the benefit of the daughter. The daughter then has to take a required distribution, no matter what her age is. So required distribution for account owners is 70 and a half, or April 1st after the year you retire if you're in a qualified 401k plan that you're not more than 5% owner of. If I'm a non-spouse and I inherit the IRA, I have to take that required distribution, right? 
no matter what my age is. If I'm 40 years old, you have to take that distribution when you inherit that account. So there's some different rules on an inherited IRA. It's not a special tax. It's just different tax law on how that money gets out. So. Yeah, and interestingly enough, Joe, with, with, the, uh, with the new Trump proposals, and, and actually the Democrats and Republicans are consistent on that. They, they both would like to get rid of that stretch IRA, which does really change the uh, landscape probably in the next year or two. And it's um, it means that uh, you got to do some planning right now. You got to do some planning before year end. You may want to consider some Roth IRAs with the stretch likely going away in the next year or two, because you want your heirs to be paying less tax. And if you live a long life, you want to pay less taxes because taxes really don't stop when your paycheck does. You still have to pay taxes. You pull money out of your your IRA. It's not capital gains. It's ordinary income. It's the the highest of tax rates unless you have some money in a Roth IRA. So as you near retirement, tax planning becomes more important than ever, and especially right now.